Well, good morning. We're in Mark 11 today, and uh, this this text is is normally read on Palm Sunday, so we're having Palm Sunday in in November. Now, uh, you know, so far, so far in the book of Mark, you know, Mark Mark has kept things moving along pretty fast. You know, we we pointed out that. You know, we, we see frequently, immediately. He did this, then immediately he did that. You know, it's just a kind of an action-packed narrative here. And starting with verse 11, he slows down. The rest The rest of the book is going to cover just the, the last week, the last week of, of Jesus' life uh, leading up to his uh, death and resurrection. And... Um, this this sermon today is it's about fruit. It's about how our Lord wants to see fruit, and that uh, fruitlessness is, is displeasing to Him. And uh, you'll notice as we as we read through the text today that uh, it's it's also about prayer, and they're related. You know, I, I think that. We can we can safely say that a a prayerless life is a fruitless life, and in more positive terms, uh, a prayerful life is going to be a fruitful life. You know, a prayerful church is going to be a fruitful church. Now, the last place we lived in in Arkansas, our our property on on the back was lined with these uh, pear trees, and when we when we moved in, I was kind of excited about that. I love pears. And uh, well, these pears blossomed. They're they're beautiful, and when the blossoms fell off, nothing. They were ornamental pear trees. Yeah, how dare how dare they call these how dare they call these pear trees when they when they don't produce pears? You know, they 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 grow up very beautifully. Uh, they're good for show, but but they're fruitless. They're fruitless. Well, our text today uh, again is Mark chapter eleven. So, if you turn with your turn, it. Mark chapter eleven. Mark is after Matthew. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So, Mark eleven verses uh, one through twenty-five. And uh, in in this passage, Jesus comes into Jerusalem. Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and you're familiar with this story, Palm Sunday. But what happens is it's kind of kind of a letdown. He comes in with with a certain amount of fanfare, and then he comes into Jerusalem and sees a lack of fruit. He encounters a fruitless fig tree. He encounters a fruitless temple. And then he provides some instruction. Well, let's, let's read our text. Chapter 11, starting with verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there with him said, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told him what Jesus had said, and they let him go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their coats on it, and he sat on it. 
And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And as he entered Jerusalem, he went into the temple. And when he looked around at everything, he looked around at everything as it was already late. And he went out to Bethany with the twelve. On the following day, when they came back from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit of you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and they entered the temple. He entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And as he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when the evening came, they went out of the city. And as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed is withered. And Jesus said, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if anyone has anything against anyone so that your father who is in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Let's pray. Um, Oh, Lord, we come to you this morning confessing that uh, we are often prayerless. Lord, as, as that song we sang said, we're, we're prone to, to wander, prone to leave the, the God we love. And it's our desire, Lord, this morning that, uh, that we do live lives pleasing to you, bearing the, the fruit of your spirit, Lord, demonstrating the, uh, the, the likeness of, of Christ in our lives. So, Lord, as as we open up your word, uh, speak to us, teach us. And we pray this in, in the name of Jesus. Amen. So anyway, up to this point, Jesus has been going around teaching the disciples. He's been doing miracles, healing, casting out demons. He's He's been ministering to people. And uh, many times as he's healed people, he, he's told them don't don't tell anyone don't tell anyone and uh, you know he he just was not at that point ready to to reveal who he was he was not ready yet to reveal himself as the Christ he had a lot of preparation to to do and you know as it was the the crowds were pressing in on him 
But there's a shift in emphasis. This is, a, this is really a key point in, in the, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, where he comes as the king. He comes as the Christ. Up to now, he's, he's walked everywhere he's gone, and now he's going to come into to Jerusalem riding on a, on a donkey. He's riding in, into Jerusalem as, as the king. But we're going to see that his reception was was poor. It was fruitless. Well, on his way into Jerusalem, Jesus goes through uh, Bethany, where Mary and Martha and Lazarus live. Remember, Jesus raised Lazarus from the the dead there. Uh, People in Bethany knew who he was. They'd heard the stories, whether they knew him or knew of him. So as he's going into Jerusalem, uh, there's there's a crowd of people following him. It says in in front, behind. These are these are the people who had uh, witnessed some of what he's done, you know. And they're they're expecting something very significant here, I, I believe. And Jesus sends a couple disciples ahead of him to uh, requisition a, a donkey. You know, he tells his disciples, if anybody asks what's going on, you know, just tell them the Lord needs this this donkey. You know. Could you imagine going into town and into a town and saying, you know, there's there's going to be a car on a, on a corner and the keys are going to be in it. Just go ahead and hop in that car and and bring it to me. Uh, that's what happens here. You know, it was in Jesus's plan. There was this donkey he knew would be there, one that had never been ridden before. And what's what's the significance of Jesus riding a donkey? You know, have you wondered that? I, I would I would think that a king would come riding in on a steed. You know, uh, a, a mighty, majestic looking horse. You know, a, a king riding into a into a battle would would come in on a horse like that. You know, a mighty king on on an impressive horse. That's what I'd expect him to do. But Jesus came in on a donkey. You know, a lowly animal. Why did he do that? Well, he was fulfilling prophecy. Zechariah 9.10 prophesies about the coming king. Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humbled and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. He, his rule will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. You know, just a, a look forward at this at this coming king you know some of it fulfilled there some of it yet to be fulfilled in in the in the future you know a king on a donkey would signify peace not war you know and that's that's the image we have there in Zechariah you know a humble king on a on a humble animal you know getting rid of the articles of war cutting off the cutting of the chariot the war horse breaking the bow you know, just destroying the instruments of, of war, setting the prisoners free, the rule of pe- ruler of peace. 
It was prophesied in the Old Testament. You know, Isaiah prophesied that as well. You know, this was this was a, a messianic sign. This was a sign that that good Jewish people who knew the scripture would would recognize. And so what are they doing? They're shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. You know, they recognize that Jesus is the promised king. It's it's an acknowledgement that this king is coming from the from the tribe of David, the Messiah, the king. And it says they were laying their, their garments down before him, laying down leafy branches. And, uh, you know, this, by the way, is, is something that they did earlier in the Old Testament with King Jehu. You know, the people spread their garments uh, under him before he goes out to destroy uh, the Baal worship. You know, Jesus on a donkey might have reminded people of King Solomon in uh, 1 Kings one thirty three, where King David commanded, take with you the servants of the Lord and have Solomon, my son, ride on my own mule and bring him down to Gihon and let Zadok, the priest, and Nathan, the prophet, there anoint him king over Israel. Then blow the trumpet and say, long live King Solomon. You know, they're, they're, they're shouting out, Hosanna. That word Hosanna, is a, uh, it's an Aramaic word, and it, it literally means help or, or save, I pray. You know, it's a, it's a call to this, this coming king, this, this Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one to bring salvation. You know, and, and what they're shouting comes from Psalm 118. We see all kinds of fulfilled prophecy here. Psalm 118 uh, starting in verse 19 says, open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected and become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. Hosanna. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Or, O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Those last couple of verses, that's, that's what they're quoting here. They're excited. Here comes the king. The king is, is coming. So the people coming into Jerusalem are, are celebrating him as the the Messiah, the King. You know, he's he's the one they are looking to to rescue them from the tyranny of the the Roman Empire. He's they feel he's he's here to to liberate us from the the tyranny, help us. Save us, we, we pray. They're shouting that. You know, and implied from that psalm that, that I just read, uh, they're saying, give us success. Give us success against these, these Gentiles who've terrorized us, who are occupying 
or land, you know, at this point, uh, you know, you get swept into the, the story. You think finally, after all these years, after all this suffering, after all this war, after all the, the murder and just bad stuff here, finally the king is coming. Things are going to change now. That's the expectation. Things were going to change, but not in the, the way they're expecting. When Jesus got into Jerusalem, it was very anticlimactic. You know, he goes into the temple, which, you know, is the uh, the center of, of the, the civic and the religious life of, of the community. And what does it say he did that first night? Rather than coming into the temple in a blaze of glory... It says he went in and he looked around. It was getting late, so so he went back into to Bethany. Like, okay. He went in and he looked around. That's all that's really all it said. You know, here's here's the temple. This is the temple that that was built as a, a habitation for God, a place where God would meet with his people. And God in the flesh, God incarnate, walks into this, this temple, which represents the place of, of meeting God. And nothing happens. No reception. Nobody recognized him. Uh, nothing, you know, and I, I wonder what he was thinking. We've, it doesn't say anything, really. I wonder what he's thinking as he's as he's looking around. What was he thinking? You know, he was maybe looking at the uh, the religious activity, the rituals that were taking place. You know, this this temple was like uh, an ornamental tree, all leaves and. And no fruit, you know, devoid of life, maybe maybe devoid of, of the presence of God. You know, not recognizing that he is God. Maybe he was thinking about how this temple was, was going to be destroyed soon. Maybe he was thinking about how as a baby his parents brought him into this, this very temple. And people like Simeon and Anna immediately recognized him. They knew who he was. Here's the Messiah, this baby. And they praised God for the privilege of seeing the Messiah, that God would allow them to see God in the flesh as a baby. What an amazing thing. But now Jesus walks in and nothing, nothing. We need to ask ourselves, you know, what, what kind of what kind of reception do we give to our King, to, to King Jesus? You know, the Lord of Lords. Uh, what kind of reception does he does he receive from us? Do we give him that same lack of response that he that he got as he entered into the temple? You know, or are we just busy, just too busy and distracted uh, doing the things that occupy us? Well, this next section is interesting. You know, here Mark puts bookends around the account of Jesus going into the temple the second time. These these bookends both have to do with this, this fig tree. 
And when he does this, Mark is using this, this literary device to, to show us that this story of the fig, be, the fig tree is related intimately with this story about what happened in the temple. They're not two separate stories. They're, they're tied together in some, in some way. Um, you know, so this, this calls us to look a little deeper. You know, this, this story about the fig tree where Jesus goes up to the fig trees and it, and it says that he doesn't find fruit on it because it's not, you know, figs aren't in season. And so he curses it. That's a weird story on the surface. Uh, but it has something to do with the temple. It has something to do with Jesus going in, into the temple. We need to think here. I remember my second grade teacher used to say, let's put on our thinking caps. I had to think a little bit about what that even meant. Anyway, uh, you know, on the, on, the, on the surface, it looks like Jesus is, is being cranky and, and unreasonable. Um, you know, Jesus, Jesus would surely know that, that figs aren't in season and a tr- fig tree would not be loaded with with figs then you know mark mark is telling us there's something going on here it has to do with the with the temple well there are there are many references to figs in the bible we need to go back and and look at that just as an aside the the name of the two towns that were mentioned you know, before Jesus comes to Jerusalem, Bethphage and Bethany, both of these uh, refer to figs. Uh, Bethphage means a, means house of unripe figs. Bethany means house of dates or ha- house of figs. Uh, yeah, by the way, the, the fig tree, this fig tree story has been a source of uh, confusion and, and criticism for unbelievers over, over the years. I, and even believers, I, I've heard people say, "Oh, that poor tree! You know what? It, what did it do to de- to deserve this? You know why? Why would Jesus do that? That's just not fair." Um, the atheist Bertrand Russell uses this story as a proof that the Bible's not true and that there is no God because God wouldn't do that. He says. He uh, he felt that uh, Jesus's action indicated a a character flaw in Jesus, you know. That uh, anyway, you know, on the surface it does seem rather strange, but you know the Holy Spirit inspired Mark to write this down because this is something that that Jesus did, and it's important. You know, all Scripture we're told is inspired by God, and so we. We don't skip over a section just because it, it looks strange. We look for the meaning. Part of the controversy is we don't understand the fig trees in, in the uh, Middle East. Uh, if we do, we can shine some, some light on this. Um, these fig trees there, they, there are two crops. There's an early crop and a, a later crop. And each year new wood grows on the tree. And with the first crop, the, the figs grow out of the old wood. The, uh, the blossom before, they blossom before the trees grow new leaves. With the second crop, the figs grow out of the new wood. And on this first crop, there are just little buds. 
little buds. They don't taste very good, I understand, but they're they're edible. And sometimes travelers, as they came, as they came through, if they saw these on a tree, they'd, they'd eat them just because they were hungry and didn't have anything else to eat. You know, the time of year was the, the Passover. Uh, it's in the middle of the month of Nisan, which is uh, our month of April. And that's when these little little buds would would grow. And so this this early green fruit was a common thing for for peasants to eat as well. Now, an absence an absence of these buds would indicate that there's not going to be a second crop. So when Jesus came up to this this tree, you know the 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 regular fig crop is not in season but he's expecting to find some of these little buds and they're not there and so that tells him this tree is not growing fruit I saw a a web page where somebody was visiting there and he looked into this and he showed pictures of, of of these little buds so Anyway, um, you know, all, I think all of this would have been known by the people who were the original audience of, of this book. You know, sometimes we read the Bible with uh, biased eyes, you know, Western eyes, not knowing the, the background. You know, the original light of, uh, audience would have known exactly what was going on. Anyway, he... Uh, is doing this because of what's coming next you know in, in the old testament the uh, the fig tree is a is a picture of israel the fig tree was a picture of of blessing and and abundance you know along with uh, other things like pomegranates and honey and grapevines and streams of water uh deuteronomy 8 2 uh, fruit on a fig tree was a sign of god's blessing a barren tree was a sign of God's blessing being removed because of Israel's unfaithfulness. There are several mentions of, of tearing downs of trees and vines as a sign of judgment. You know, Jeremiah 8.10 talks about no grapes on the vine, no figs on the tree, you know, signifying that the, uh, the nation of Israel, God's people had turned away from him. And so we need to read the story with with this background in mind. This whole this whole story about the fig tree is about God's people not bearing fruit. God's people not bearing fruit and since the uh, temple account is right in the middle of the fig tree account, you know, we need to see that that it's related. The fig tree is related symbolically to the temple. So the fig tree is not bearing fruit when Jesus comes to it, Jesus rejects the tree. It has leaves, but it doesn't have fruit, and it will not have fruit. It withers and dies and will never again bear fruit. So we're we're being set up here for Jesus' entrance into the temple. When Jesus comes into the temple, you know, he he encounters something similar. You know, essentially he's seeing leaves but no fruit. He's seeing the temple with with the rituals and the people. 
and the empty prayers, but no, no real fruit. He, you know, just as the, uh, the fig tree is unfruitful, so is the temple. You know, it's not serving its intended purpose. What's its intended purpose to bear spiritual fruit? And, and, you know, just as the fig tree is rendered useless, so will the temple in the future. You know, the fig tree is God's picture of judgment and the future destruction of the temple. Anyway, Jesus goes into the temple a second time. You know, he comes into this this hub of, of activity. You know, you get, you get the, the, the picture that it's very busy, it's bustling with, with commerce. There's, there's commotion and, and people are exchanging currency. They're buying sacrifice. You know, it's, it's a marketplace environment. And it left little room for the, the intended use of, of the temple. You know, there's, there's two things to notice here. You know, first of all, the offense of the temple being used for, for money-making, for trade and for profit instead of a place of prayer, you know, a place of, of meeting God. Uh, second, Jesus is quoting from Jeremiah 7, 9 through 11. He says, will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Bill and go after other gods you have not known and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name and say, we are delivered only to go on doing these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? You know, not only are the uh, traitors you know, misusing the temple, but the implication is that people are sinning and, and worshiping false gods and then hiding out in the temple, you know, feeling secure there. The temple has become kind of a refuge for uh, ungodly people, murderers, adulterers, liars, idolaters, uh, thieves, robbers. You know, they do what they want and then they go to the temple to feel safe, to feel good about themselves. You know, does that does that ring true in modern times? You know, it reminds me of, I had some Catholic friends who would say, well, you know, I can, I can live what, however I want during the week. I can do whatever I want as long as I go in and, and confess, then the blank, you know, the slate is clean, you know. I can I can enter into the new week with with a, a clear conscience. Just like the fig tree, you know, no fruit. Jesus quotes Isaiah fifty six seven where he where God says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all people, for all nations. You know, God wants people who will come and, and worship him in spirit and in truth. You know, Jesus says in John, the Gospel of John, that God is looking for people who will do that. You know, people will, who will come and worship him in, in holiness, not just going through the, the motions, having a, a false sense of, of security. You know, what he sees in the temple is really far from what he's looking for. Just like, the fig tree was far from what he was looking for. There, it's all leaves, but no fruit. You know, there's a hubbub of religious activity, but there's no worship in spirit and truth. There's no spiritual fruit. 
You know, Second Timothy three five, Paul talks about uh, people having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. How does this apply to us? You know, fruit. Where's Where's the fruit? That's the That's the title of the sermon. Where's the fruit? You know, does Does God look at you? Does God look at me? And see fruit or not? Or are we we all leaves and, and no fruit? You know, do we come just to uh, to exercise religious activity on, on Sunday mornings and then you know live like hell the rest of the week? Uh you know, these things are really the same. You know, Jesus Jesus said you will recognize them by their fruit. He'll people will recognize us by our fruit. And um that's Matthew seven sixteen. And I mentioned earlier that uh there there's something that is very important here also and, and Jesus gets into that. This is about prayer. You know, God's Jesus said God's house will be called a house of prayer. God wants us to come to him in prayer. You know, what he wants is genuine prayer, you know, faithful prayer, fruitful prayer, forgiving prayer. So, you know, the, the second bookend here then, Jesus talks about the, the fig tree because the disciples ask him about it. You know, they're pretty impressed about this. They see this this fig tree that Jesus had said you will bear no fruit any longer, and they see that it's shriveled to its roots, and they uh, they don't understand the significance yet, but uh, they will later. And uh, notice instead of dwelling on the fig tree, Jesus talks about prayer. Jesus talks about prayer here. He says He begins by saying, have faith in God. He says, have, have, have true faith in God. He, he God will do some amazing things, you know. Don't have the attitude, well, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, but I don't really expect God to do anything. He says, go to God in prayer with faith. You know, it's uh, maybe sometimes easy to, to have that, that attitude, well, you know, I'll pray, but I don't know if anything will happen, you know, because of uh, God's timing is is usually different from ours. You know, we're not privy to his timing. You know, we want, we want things right now, don't we? I do. But, you know, maybe there's, maybe there's a reason for, for a delay, you know, and, and God is, is not bound by our demands. He's not bound to our timeline. We need to trust him. He talks, he talks about, Mountains, you know what? What mountains are are you facing? You know, you, I, I don't. I don't think you're going to move physically move these mountains, but you know, we all face obstacles. We all we all have mountains that we need to to bring to God. You know, uh, huge unmovable obstacles. Remember what Jesus said: what the things that are impossible for man are possible for God. We need to have faith in Him. And we can't make the mistake of thinking that it's our faith that does this. That's that's having faith in faith. We need to have faith 
in God. Faith in God. Not faith in our ourselves. It's faith in God that makes things possible. I I've listened to sermons on the radio and and I've I've heard some crazy things, you know, people talking about faith as if that's all we need. You know, say they say uh say the word and it'll happen. Uh, no, that's that's faith in faith. That's not faith in God. It's idolatry. Jesus says have faith in God. Have faith in God. Next, Jesus ties our, our prayers to the attitude of forgiveness. You know, when we pray, we need to ask God to forgive us of our, our trespasses and sins. Remember in the Lord's Prayer, you know, for forgive us as we've forgiven others, right? Should we expect God's forgiveness if if we are unforgiving people? That's that's the point. You know, our our sin is against God is vastly greater than anybody else's sin against us. God has has lavished his grace and forgiveness on us and we need to have that same attitude. We need to be forgiving people. We'll close here in a, in a moment. But, uh, you know, Jesus, going back to the beginning scene here, he rides in as, as king. But the people, his people did not accept him as, as Lord. We need, we need to receive Jesus as king and Lord of our lives. It pleases him for us to bear fruit. Does he see fruit? Or does he see fruitlessness? You know, does does he see us individually and as a church as people who worship him and, and pray to him? Is is our church a house of prayer? Is our family a house of prayer? Are, are we people of, of prayer? That's that's a prerequisite for fruit bearing. Religious activity is is a very poor substitute for a, for a genuine relationship with God. You know, it's it's His desire that we are with Him, that we're present with Him, praying to Him, bearing fruit. You know, what does what does that look like? You know, we can, we can talk a lot about bearing fruit what is it what does it look like for us to to bear fruit as christians let's let's save that for afterwards okay you know paul gives us a a quick comparison test in galatians chapter 5 where he begins by talking about the the works of the flesh you know these are things that are contrary to the the fruit of the spirit Galatians 5.19, Paul says, The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, 
drunkenness, orgy, orgies, and things like these. He's not even given us the full list. He says, I warned you as I warned you before that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I see by the shaking of the heads, a lot of people have that memorized. That's awesome. Yeah, what does Jesus see when he looks into our hearts? What does Jesus see when he sees our, our homes, when he sees our church? Does he see the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is really the character of, of Jesus. It's us bearing the image, conforming to the, to the image of, of Christ. You know, let's, let's be people who bear fruit. Let's be people of prayer, people who walk with the Lord closely. You know, our, our, Paul calls it the fruit of the Spirit, and there's, there's a reason for that because that fruit relies on a connection with, with the source. That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit. We bear the fruit of the Spirit through Christ, abiding in Christ. John fifteen forty eight says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is who bears much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Let's glorify God. Let's glorify and praise him and pray to him and walk with him closely. Let's have a genuine relationship, worshiping in spirit and in truth and bearing fruit and pleasing him. Let's pray. Um, Lord Jesus, once again, we're reminded that we can't do any of this without you. Help us, Lord, to abide in you, Lord, to to maintain that, that close connection with you. We, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your great love for us, for forgiving us of our sins. Lord, we thank you for lavishing your your grace on us, your love on us day by day, moment by moment. Uh, we cannot save ourselves except by your grace, Lord, and we, we appreciate that. We cannot live fruitful lives apart from you, apart from your grace. So, Lord, fill us anew with your spirit, Lord. We, we draw life 
from you, Lord, as we abide in you. Uh, and we just pray, Lord, that we would just continuously and consciously dwell in your presence. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen.